friends, and welcome to another episode of Shared History. How do you spell history? God damn it. No. <laughs> How do you spell relief? H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. God damn it. <laughs> I was that's like, the first time that's the first time I flubbed an intro. Or a one of the bits. Oh, I thought that was the joke. <laughs> no, no, but right now the joke no, is Newton screaming. Newton, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. We are already off the rails. <laughs> oh. Right. oh, hey, listeners, it's me, Cass. And it's me, <laughs> Natalie. And if you hear a wailing cat, that's not a cat on a whaling ship. That's a cat that's wailing. Uh, that's Sir Isaac Newton, who apparently is guesting on this podcast, but... Listen, I got to tell him it's going to be crowded if he's going to keep butting in here because we have not one, but two fantastic guests tonight. They are two thirds of the team at Sweet Bitter, a podcast about Sappho that we have talked about on the podcast before because I have a big old lady crush. And uh, it's Elise Noor and Lisa Charlotte. Hello, ladies. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Thanks for coming on. And sorry that my cat is like trying to steal your thunder and your spotlight. Our cat podcast, and that is what cats do. Yeah, I'm not I mean, gonna try to compete against him. He wins. Don't let don't let Sir Isaac Newton won. He won enough in history and was not a good man. <laughs> On that note, if you haven't listened to, I think. Uh, the Meet Your Heroes podcast has uh, an episode on Sir Isaac Newton, I believe, that is a large yike. Was he really shitty? I mean, was he a white man in history? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I All I know about him is, oh, you know what's really sad now that I'm thinking about it? All I know about him is gravity and like apples. Mm hmm. Yep, same. How about them apples? <laughs> Two of my favorite things, gravity and apples. Um, yes. So we have two... I'm going to just call you guys both experts, even though I know Lisa will be like, no, I'm not an expert. Please don't. I think I can almost claim it now. I'm pretty sure. You've absorbed enough information about I Sappho. So. I mean, I'm sure if I was a white man, as we say, that I would have claimed expertise months ago. <laughs> Episode one, I know everything. <laughs> Do we have the only podcast that exists about Sappho? I think so. So? I think that's expert status right there. Exactly. Just by default. <laughs> Take it to the bank. Um <laughs> Normally, like our guests come on with like a surprise topic, or at least at least Cass is surprised because I'm the one <laughs> who has been told the topic in an email, um, and then I just pretend because I I'm an actor. Then I'm like, oh my god, what a surprise! But we knew and also requested that you come on and talk about Sappho because Sappho has been on my topic list of for a while. Of like, event eventually, I'll do Sappho when I feel like I have the time to research and, and do that badass broad justice. But then thanks for, you know, making my life easier. So I don't have to do the work. <laughs> I I asked Natalie before, because it, it, it usually is a surprise with us. And when guests come on, like specifically what they're going to do. And so I asked Natalie, I was like, um, so are they going to do something like, like Greek literature? No, they're doing Sappho. Got it. Got it. Cool, cool, cool. 
I was going to be really mad if the Sappho experts came on and didn't talk about Sappho. <laughs> if the Sappho so, experts were like, like, here's here's the truth about Isaac Newton. Whole <laughs> 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 like hog into. He just was like an egotistical. I mean, I don't. We, this isn't about. It's not about him. It's not about him. Mm. I'm sorry. I got so worked up. Uh, Lisa and Elise. Well, first of all, also like shout out to Ellie, the third, the third third of uh, very important of of Sweet Bitter, who is not recording with us, but whomst we love. She is uh, here in spirit. Yes, she she surrounds us in all spirit. The time. You obviously super into and love Sappho. Do both of you love history in general, or are you more like you're very into just more literary history or ancient Greek history or queer erasure in history or what's kind of like your your feelings about history as a whole? Well, this is kind of a long running fight that I have with my wife because she loves any kind of history. You could just be like, okay, so in 17, and she'll, she'll just be like, okay, yeah, I don't even care. I'm into it. I'm excited. Whereas I'm more into like sci-fi and thinking about the future and reading about new technologies. And I kind of always am living in the future and she's living in the past. And um, But I think queer erasure history would be my most favorite kind because it's the kind that I wasn't taught in school. And so every time I learn a new fact, like, you know, about queer figures in history or people I didn't know were queer or um, the stories that queer folks have to tell. I just feel like completely wrapped. I, yeah, I also, I do like queer erasure in history and like women erasure in history, but my like thing, like what I studied at university is terrorism and extremism and identity. So I love learning about like the history of terrorist organizations. So like if you so just like really chill, home, relaxing, <laughs> super relaxing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like when I was at university and I'd be writing an essay, and then I would just be researching that essay, and then there'd be a terrorist attack somewhere in the world, and then I'd just cry myself to sleep. You know, happy stuff. Yeah, I feel like you're just like I just need to throw something on TV just to fall asleep. Let's watch Homeland. Like. <laughs> Be a casual fall asleep to yeah. Me. Let's just like, wash prejudice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just let Homeland. Let's just let it wash <laughs> over me. Oi. Yes. Just the Terrorism? just the previously yes. on set part of Homeland. Just that little clip. I'm like, what happened last episode? I'm like, okay, I need to take a break before we even start this episode. <laughs> I am stressed out. Yeah, it's basically I'm like st- a trigger warning for the whole rest of the episode. Like, okay, yeah. you ready? Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> Like, do you remember do you remember what this show is? This, yeah, just so you know, that's what we're doing today. <laughs> yes. Previously on, aka the last time you stress quit this show, we were talking about this. Oh my god, I like completely forgot about Homeland and now I just brought it up and now I'm my heart's racing. <laughs> I wonder how many listeners are having like a PTSD episode right now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was my whole degree. And um and Oh also my gosh. Yes, it's really cults interesting. Too? Yes, yes. They, I find cults so interesting. There's that's so cross disciplinary because it's it's history, it's psychology, it's religion, it's there's yeah. It's I was never really good at picking thing. a lane. You know, it's sort of that like <laughs> my brain's in too many places at once. So I'm just like, can I do all of the things, but just one thing? I think <laughs> yes, I fundamentally just cults. don't buy into like the expertise realm of academia so i was like how can i do the most things at once and that was what i did so super fun times i studied literature in college 
and my favorite professor taught a class on um, science in Victorian poetry. Mm. And I like was like, I, I didn't know you could do that. Like, what do you even talk about? And then the whole thing was like how poetry in Victoric, Victorian England influenced science and vice versa. And I was like, oh, that's Very like, cool. I would have never even thought about that. And I'm angry that I didn't know that. But now I'm obsessed. Well, this could actually bring us very easily into Sappho because in Sappho's time, the kind of like being a whole Renaissance person, I guess, which it was not even a term that's used then, but you know what I'm talking (laughs) about. Like it was like the norm for people who were wealthy. They were the ones who were really multidisciplinary. So they could sing, they could dance, they could play the lyre, they could recite poetry, they could do all of the things. Whereas now they would consider us sort of barbaric, which is fun to think about <laughs> yeah they saw i mean the the aristocratic elites in, in ancient greece saw um specialization in one area as something that like a slave would need to do like you need to know how to do one thing but they all knew how to like sing songs they, i mean they just had such a wide branch of knowledge and also there weren't so many discrete categories between things so religion and community and like you know, your, your personal problems and your literature were all sort of like wrapped up together and there was a God for everything. So, you know, if you were feeling hungover, there was a God you could pray to. And it was just pervasive throughout your life. This kind I of pray like to that philosophy. God all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. I feel like that's so important to just recognize that everything connects. If I make a move over here, it's going to affect someone over there in this industry, in this community and kind of turning your nose up at like, I'm the absolute best at what I do, trying to ignore that it affects everyone else and having breadth helps with your specificity. Totally. They, they also had no categories as far as sexuality go. So today we have like an acronym and you can describe yourself with all these different terms, you know, but for the ancient Greeks, they just, they didn't see sexuality as an identity or as something that like was attached to a certain gender like well i'm straight or i'm gay or i'm bi or i'm queer they, they were just like no like eros just happens to you like you were just inflicted with love for someone and you don't have no control over what their gender or their age is or like where they come from like it just hits you so it's more of a a thing sent by the gods than something that would categorize you into a certain group or something i love that term inflicted with love that's amazing <laughs> isn't it though isn't that what it is it feels very true yeah <laughs> Yeah, Sappho's poems are all about, like, love as this horrible, you know, affliction that just devastates your body and just causes you physical pain and discomfort and you might die, it might kill you and it just, like, you know, makes your limbs feel too heavy and makes you sweaty and it's just, like, this really, really powerful, like, attack on your your personhood of love. It's really dramatic. Sign me up. Right? Was Sappho, was Sappho, like, the first, like, like emo girl like what yes 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 <laughs> she was it's like yes 100 percent. absolutely she any kind of, the, the whole like lyric tradition so like singing for her singing on a lyre singing her songs about her personal emotions at a time when society was really communally oriented so singing about her personal individual emotions and she would sing at festivals or even at like private drinking parties or hanging out with her crew. But singing those personal songs on her lyre created this lyric tradition that leads directly 2,500 years later to like Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga and Tracy Chapman. And um, so not only is she influential on poets, but also like the whole idea of lyric song really comes from Sappho. 
I think that's interesting because usually when I think of yeah like Greek uh drama or poetry and whatnot it's like if you if you read a Greek play it's chorus and and the individual characters are almost speaking allegorically and I mean even Homer or whatever it's sing to me O muse whatever but it's drawing down from some the gods talking or something it's not super individualized totally Sappho is 100% you know she would have known Homer Homer came before Sappho so she would have read Homer not not read it because he wasn't written down but she would know those stories and so to have a counterpoint to this very masculine very like it's all about war and like Homer describes like exactly the point where like a spear enters someone's body and you know murders them and it's all just about this kind of glorification of of violence and things are epic and there's all these men Sappho's like no no no, we're going to talk about you know one person's experiences of love like one person's individual emotions and she even has this great poem um maybe I can read it to you it's just this great like f you to Homer um it's fragment. I need it. It's fragment sixteen, and I'm going to read Carson's translation. She says, "Some men, <laughs> Homer, say an army of horse, and some men say an army on foot, and some men say an army of ships is the most beautiful thing on the black earth. But I say it is what you love." So that's the beginning of this poem, and she's just basically saying, like, at the end, she goes, "I would rather see her lovely step and the motion of light on her face than chariots of Lydians or ranks of foot soldiers in arms." So she's like, "All these men have hard-ons for armies and war, and it's actually, but actually, women are the be- most beautiful thing." Men are all like, "I want a lightsaber. <laughs> I want to fight something." <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think Elise and I both want a lightsaber. I do want a lightsaber. <laughs> I was gonna say, is it bad if I really want a lightsaber? lightsaber though <laughs> um not a lightsaber but elise talks to me every week about going to star wars land at disney as soon World. as covid's like, over every guys. week it's like a post-covid dream as soon as it's over no, it's it's not a lightsaber but from where i am sitting i can see a full-size light up it lights up it makes sounds and it's a full-size replica of an energy sword from halo so <laughs> I am. Um, Why not both? <laughs> Swords I and felt, women. I felt really bad when you started reading that poem, Elise. I like just like completely went off screen. Um, I didn't know we'd be talking about Homer. Uh, but there's, <laughs> I have a copy of the Iliad. Just casually <laughs> next to you. <laughs> no, but when you when you said that, it is it is very masculine and and it varies translation to translation, but it's always kind of got the same theme. And I actually bought this book after reading, I think it was a New York Times uh, article, Caroline Alexander translate, you're smiling like you know exactly what I'm talking about. She's like the first, she's probably not the first female person to translate the Iliad, but it was like a big deal when she did it, the first like major recognized and just like like one snippet, maybe six, seven lines of like the intro that they showed like it changes the entire context of the whole epic based on not even taking it from a specifically female point of view, but like taking the masculinity out of it changes the entire setup of the story. Absolutely. There's, I mean, when Sappho mentions anything from Greek mythology or from Homer, she's always doing this new take on it. And it's this subversive feminist take. So she pays attention, like the moment when Hector, um, 
uh, when Hector's wife is brought in and, you know, she's she's kind of saying goodbye to her homeland, like, Sappho focuses on her and not on Hector. And when she's talking about Helen, um, you know, leaving uh, for Troy with, um, with uh, oh my god, where is his name going? Helen of Troy and was she was abducted by... Paris. I'm trying to. Oh, oh yes. my God! Yeah, there it is. <laughs> that was me giving you a clue without it's saying. Been a it. big day. <laughs> but she folk. She she gives Helen agency. So actually, in that same poem, um, poem 16 that I was just reading to you, she talks about how Helen left for beauty. She wasn't abducted, like some of the stories say. She left because she was in love. Easy to make this understood by all. For she who overcome everyone in be- who overcame everyone in beauty, Helen left her fine husband behind and went sailing to Troy. So she gives Helen all this agency. She's just, you know, a football in the in the Homeric myth. But in, in Sappho's poem, it's like, she, Helen's like, okay, fuck you, bye, I'm going to Troy. There's this hot guy that I found, see ya. <laughs> it's great, it's better. She's just like, I want that, yes. Yeah, Sappho's like, yes. Sappho's like I get it, yeah, I get it. It's I funny always, to... oh, sorry, go ahead. Now. Oh, I was just gonna say, it's funny to me, like, how, like, war! uh the iliad uh and the odyssey are just because like you know who are key players in the iliad achilles and patroclus you know who are gay as fuck (laughs) achilles and patroclus so gay nothing gayer than wanting your ashes buried with another man's ashes the gayest lisa but i just not good friends have a a meme on your sweet bitter account of historians trying to uh trying to make sense that Sappho is straight or whatever and it's the crazy meme of like the conspiracy theory board behind like working so hard like she's straight I swear to god that's Achilles and Patroclus yes they're just good friends all good friends Lisa finds us so many amazing memes like especially on that topic like historians being like anyway Sappho and her friend um, I don't yeah. know where she finds them all. It's amazing. Her roommate. <laughs> yeah. I spend a lot of time looking through social media and reading about Sappho. And oh my goodness, the amount of freaking times I have to bite my tongue. I'm like, I am on a podcast account. I am affiliated with this podcast. I cannot argue with gatekeepers on the internet who want to use Sappho's name to exclude bisexual and trans people. Like, I cannot with this. So it's just like a constant minefield, but yeah, lots of fun memes. In researching this podcast, and we just did a whole episode about um, Sappho's, you know, the erasure of Sappho's queerness, because historians over time have tried, like you said, cast really hard to erase her queerness and make all these excuses. For a long time, it was to like try and save her from her like scandalous rep- rep- um, reputation. I'm putting all of that in scare quotes. Um, but you know, like it, it, it just has been the norm for so long that it's miraculous that, um, she survived and a big part of, um, why her queerness has survived is because in the second wave of feminism, women were, um, adopting the word lesbian and, and, and the, you know, term sapphic and all of that kind of reclaiming that terminology as a point of pride and a point of identity. They were looking to their ancestors for that, um, looking to Sappho, but it, I mean, we, we've read things as ridiculous as there's this poem about, getting like lubed up before sex like like before you lay down with your with your girl you're putting on all this oil and lotion and then you let loose your longing that's what Sappho says I let loose my longing on the bed and uh there's definitely a um a a scholar who interpreted that as letting loose your desire for a nap I mean (laughs) I will just say when I really want to nap there is 
There is nothing better, and I could maybe, maybe make also a connection. Also, the there, team but that it's Ali's on, but it's not, like, like it's I a, love them now. But that's yeah. a stretch. But have you ever had like a really good nap with like just like your really good friend? <laughs> it's the best. Just like BFF snapping real hard. <laughs> when your roommate nap together, right, Elise? My roommate and I nap every night. <laughs> we just love to nap. We love it so much. We anoint ourselves in oil and then we get into the bed and let loose our longing to sleep. That's super platonic. Yeah, I gotta get eight hours, man. <laughs> yep. Have you ever let loose your lo- let loose your longing for eight hours? It feels incredible. <laughs> oh man. I have a two-year-old, so yeah, it's <laughs> any any sleep you can get is precious and amazing and uh, desperately needed, desperately, desperately. Needed. So yeah, I get it. This is my favorite <laughs> euphemism for the rest of all time. Hey, you shareholders, it's Natalie, your host who listens to the most other podcasts. I want to tell you all about Sweet Bitter, the Sappho podcast. It's all about Sappho, who, if you do not know her, she's the OG lesbian, first known female in the European literary tradition, one of a kind, fantastic, honestly, on my list of topics to cover for this podcast, Sappho was the first person to ever write lyric poetry. And in every episode of Sweet Bitter, they write and perform a song based on one of her poems. It's chef's kiss. I can't, I cannot even. All of this to say, check out the Sweet Bitter podcast. It delves into the truth and controversy of Sappho's life and her work. And honestly, the multimedia, is it multimedia if it's still all auditory? Whatever. The mix of thorough research, great hosts, expert guests, and original music has us over at Shared History crushing hard. So again, that's Sweet Bitter. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, um... Really chill segue there, guys. You did a great job. Uh, just just steering us steering us right into Sappho Land, which is an amusement park I would go to. Can uh can you like I don't know like take us to the the beginning or like at least like the beginning of of what we know or her or her quote unquote career. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot that we don't know about her life because she just lived so long ago. Um, she was born. Um, sometime around 600 um, BC, like maybe 615 or 620 BC. So she was born in archaic Greece, like actually before the kind of classical Hellenistic Greece that we know and love. She was born before that, before writing existed. Um, so preliterate society. Um, and she, what we do know about her is that she was born on the Greek island of Lesbos. And um, she was born to an aristocratic family. And um, she had, we think we, she may have had three brothers, um, possibly been married, possibly had a daughter. Um, but, the, <laughs> but there's a lot that we don't know. And a lot of that is just because she lived so long ago and all um, records have, you know, have not survived, including her own poetry, which only comes to us as fragments. So most of what we know about her comes from her own writing um, and also from a few uh, encyclopedic accounts from like ancient encyclopedias. But those can be full of errors. Um, a lot of the other things we know about her come from plays uh, that classical Greek uh, playwrights made about her. She was already like a legend in their history when the Greek playwrights were writing about her. And they used her as a stock figure in their comedies. And when she showed up in those, she showed up as a really um, promiscuous, 
um, woman who was like giving lots of blowjobs all over the place with blowjobs and the accounts of her husband name him as something that translates to Dick Johnson from Rod Island or like penis uh, yes, from the Isle Kirkalos of Man. of Andros. Yeah, Kirkalos of Andros. Our good friend. And yes, men have been doing this for years. For literally thousands of years. A They've penis been... joke is a classic <laughs> goal. Mm-hmm era joke literally <laughs> yeah especially when applied to a woman who's famous for writing love poems about other women you know like well she mu- right. well anyway like she gave me a hundred blowjobs <laughs> they really got her there <laughs> hey, sick burn we um, wrote your history to mostly be blowjobs <laughs> yeah so she was just really really incredibly famous in her time for her songs she would write um, songs and, and sing them on the lyre. She may have sung them at big festivals with, with girls who would dance and choruses who might sing along with her. But her songs were definitely performed at weddings too. There's lots of wedding songs, some with her own great penis jokes about like the bridegroom having a huge boner and you have to like remove the roof on the on the building because his boner is so huge. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Zappo yes. poems. But then just a lot of really deeply um, spiritual and personal erotic poems about you know, loving someone who doesn't love you back or, um, yeah, wanting to ask, like wanting to pray to the gods to make someone love you and just poems of deep, deep yearning and, um, you know, attraction and, and eros. And, and so that's how she became famous. And she really was so famous that by the time she was dead, people would have known how to cover her songs. People in ancient Greece would have known how to like perform a Sappho at an event. Um, there's a story about this uh, really famous Greek guy who heard one of Sappho's songs performed and asked, like, hey, can you teach me that Sappho song? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you the Sappho song. Why? And the first guy goes, so I can learn it and then die. Like, it's that good, you know, when you hear it. I love that. <laughs> I'm just, like, thinking of, uh, like, like, ba- like, there's like a, I'm going to go, I'm going to go on a limb and say that we're kind of in, like, a golden age of cover, of, like, covers right now. Or maybe mm-hmm. that's just, like, Everything my partner and I listen to, I feel like on all of his playlists, there's like a, a chef's kiss cover of an 80s song that he doesn't necessarily even realize is an 80s song. And I'll be like working and I'll just hear it and I'll start being like, this is a simple mind. <laughs> um, but I like the idea of uh, like bad early 2000s covers of, of Sapphic poetry. <laughs> I mean, we like, do write a song every podcast, and maybe they qualify. I don't. I would. I've listened to your podcast, and I'm pretty sure that none of your guys' songs are like <laughs> pop goes punk or punk goes pop. Sappho edition. Whoa! But we if did think about doing a punk song, actually, we have one more song to write. <laughs> maybe it's punk. Because <laughs> you guys did like a sea shanty too, right? Oh yeah! Let's just do a sea shanty. Elise certainly Keeping did. Keeping it cool for the kids. <laughs> we, well, it's because we'd already planned. And so by the time this podcast release, probably going to be closer to our second season. So we had like written out a list of like seasons of the podcast that we were going to do. And this next season was going to be like the queer and like female history of pirates. Um, I don't know. It's probably going to have a sexier title, but like that's the working title. And um, Pirates. Then... Super gay. There's, yeah, your, there's exactly. your working title. Super gay. <laughs> Um, and then freaking Gen Z had the audacity <laughs> to make sea shanties hot now. <laughs> Guys, the podcast is being released in August. We, <laughs> we need it. So we're like, we have to write on this. So, of course, we had to get our resident poet, Elise, to, um, to write us a song. And then it just blew up. 
yeah, ridiculously. I just, I just like wrote a, wrote a shanty in my head while I was driving my kid to daycare one morning. I was just like writing in my head and then I recorded it and I was like, cool. And then and then I checked my phone. It was like 100,000 view like likes or whatever. It's up to 1.5 million now. Have you checked it? No, I haven't checked it in like a week because I started getting stressed <laughs> out. When I last checked it, it was like 530,000. Are you serious? It's over a million. Oh my I gosh. I don't know, Ellie. Ellie told me the other day that it was a 1.5 million because we <laughs> I know. And I love this so much because Elise is like, I don't want to be famous on the internet. And no. we're like, Elise, go do this thing. And then it blows up. And she's like, <laughs> everyone's trying to like go viral on TikTok. And Elise is like, oh, sure. I'm a team player. I'll put up a shanty for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, when I was in grad school, I used to just like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. It's only at five hundred and forty-two thousand, so there's nothing. Oh, okay, cool. We're not a casual. <laughs> no, maybe it was one point five million views. Is it? Views? Oh, maybe I don't know. But um, yeah, okay. it's, it's it's it's. Listeners, go check out Sweet Bitters, Gay Pirate Irish Shanty or or Sea Shanty, Sea Shanty. But it's actually on Elise's personal TikTok, which is maybe a mistake. I know. Whoops. <laughs> who knew Pe- people are going to be expecting a lot more gay pirate sea shanties from you yeah they, he's, like thousands of people have followed elise waiting for shanties the only other content on my tiktok is like doing duets with lisa just randomly of like musical <laughs> theater like you know, like just, just making musical theater and disney gay like yeah. that's just it both of us were just bored in lockdown and we're like let's sing together on the internet <laughs> It was such millennials. I'm just like, what is this thing? Totally. I don't know. What is a TikTok? Yeah. <laughs> a TikTok. Oh, a TikTok. <laughs> How dare you, Gen Z, popularize a sea shanty at a time like this? <laughs> just wait. You could have just waited until August. And then we would have been coming in right with the content. The real question is, when are they going to make popular, like, a, a viral, like, liar, you know, singing in, like mixed lydian True. mode you know like sappho would have, like. yeah like <laughs> let the beat drop dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh oh fun fact okay so there's you know all the like we just talked about all the queer erasure of sappho and like oh you know maybe she maybe she wasn't really writing about women okay so we know that she invented the plectrum that which is the guitar pick right like she she invented the the device that you use the strings of the lyre so i was talking to my wife about sappho one day and i was telling her like all of these different facts and she just looked at me and she was like you're telling me she invented the guitar pick and we don't take that as definitive proof that she that she was fucking women <laughs> like, like that's the proof that's the proof right there <laughs> What more do you need, people? Yes, oh it's God. like a slam dunk. I mean, <laughs> case closed, Your Honor. <laughs> she was like, I have to play this instrument, but I also need to cut my nails. Invention. Right. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, Lisa had the brilliant the move phrase? of making one of our like uh, pieces of merchandise on our website is a pick with one of Sappho's like, lines engraved on it. And it's, it's and actually, to compliment it... <laughs> Elise had the good idea of making Sappho nail clippers. So we sell nail clippers <laughs> and guitar picks. It was your idea. I did not know that. We don't sell them in a tube at all. We just have, we should sell them as a tube. Because they come from different people. But it, like, it was Elise's idea. So we actually, now I think about it, we don't really have a lot of merch. But we have, <laughs> we have a guitar clippers, pick. A guitar pick and t-shirts. And that's it. That's yeah, but it's really well-turned. We're like really going yeah. for a certain audience. <laughs> 
what is what is the the, the nail clippers say, say one of her like sexier lines right oh, into man. desire into i come desi- into- i show yeah into desire i shall come or something like that yeah desire I- a good night's sleep i shall come <laughs> yeah <laughs> like she had some like sexy lines some sexy poetry and stuff I feel like, Elise, you should read Fragment 31 at this point. Yeah, okay, so this is her, like, number one one for this moment. Yeah, this is her number one hit. Like, this is, like, her top, (laughs) this is, you know, her top (laughs) single. Um, Multi-platinum. So mostly her poems are, like, really, really cut up and fragmented, but this one's pretty intact because instead of being found in an ancient trash heap on a piece of papyrus scrap... It was quoted in a um, grammar book by a later Greek uh, rhetorician, and so it um, it's pretty intact. But then I'm go- you're, I'm gonna stop right when you want me to keep going because it that's where it cuts off. That's where the ancient hold I edging. That's what she said. So you'll you you'll see where it cuts off. Um, okay, so this is fragment thirty-one, and I'm reading um, Parsons' translation. He seems to me equal to gods. That man, whoever he is. Who opposite you sits and listens close to your sweet speaking and lovely laughing. Oh, it puts the heart in my chest on wings. For when I look at you, even a moment, no speaking is left in me. No, tongue breaks and thin fire is racing under skin. And in eyes, no sight and drumming fills ears. And cold sweat holds me and shaking grips me all. Greener than grass I am and dead. Or almost, I seem to me. But all is to be dared, because even a person of poverty. Even a person of poverty, what? I know! (laughs) You set that up so well. But you're gonna go talk to her anyway, but you're gonna get over yourself and go like interrupt this man who's talking to her? Like, what? What? I also think it's worth mentioning that, um, so we spoke to another translator of uh, Sappho's work, Diane Rayer, on the podcast, and she told us that greener and grass is sort of like saying that I'm wet. So basically, this is WAP. This is the wet-ass pussy song, yes. is what this song is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because when, when we hear greener than grass in this poem, while she's watching her beloved talk to a man, we think she means jealous. But we attach green with jealousy in our like you know contemporary use of, of language. Sappho and the ancient ar- archaic Greeks had no connection like that. Instead, greenness was really associated with like fertility gods and yeah, like the the new wet earth and the you know the trees and and so that's <laughs> super erotic. I love learning like idioms that have <laughs> lost their meaning because they're so old or whatever. Because I studied like more British and Victorian poetry, and to die, like death, dead, means like to have an orgasm. Petite mot in French, the little death is an orgasm. So in a lot of this poetry, like didn't know that, and then looking back, I'm like, oh (laughs) shit! All of this like love poetry where they're like. Oh, to breathe, to die, whatever. Like, it sounds so <laughs> dramatic. Like, I'm going to die because I love you so much. It's like, damn, you horny as hell. <laughs> so now I've got green grass, and uh, that's a fun one to know, too. <laughs> totally. And just to go back to the Homer connections, um, Homer had used green to also kind of mean, like, 
um, something about like being on the battlefield and being like overcome by like you know fear um, gripping you on the battlefield. So there's just like all kinds of layers of meaning here with like how like the just catastrophic impact that this love she feels is having on her body. That's the that's the really key thing about Sappho is like everything erotic is tied to the body. And we get to hear about like the impact on the lover because for the Greeks eros again it wasn't it wasn't always like a happy thing it was like you can't experience erotic love if you have your beloved it only exists in longing it only exists when you don't have the person you love and you are longing for them so it's actually terrible you know it's a terrible feeling <laughs> I also that just reminded me of of something that I remember like really hooking into when I was when I took like when I read like the classics and stuff for, and I honestly couldn't tell you if I read the Odyssey in like an English class or like a theater class or a history class, I couldn't tell you, but Homer's descriptions of color in general, like I love very niche memes that are like Homer's world. And it's like, sheeps are fucking purple and stuff. (laughs) Uh, And like the sky is like yellow just because Homer was all over the place with color in general. I think I think speaking of green, I think honey was green, which I feel like also is I don't know. I feel like honey like I think of like a honey pot and I'm like honey is always a little erotic in its own and it's, <laughs> it's pretty much always referring to a vagina anyway. But um yep. Um I know that you guys have an episode about paperology cuz you cuz because Lisa and I've talked about it. We have. So is we actually have four episodes, kind of. <laughs> we, so, so what happened is we were researching the podcast and um, all of a sudden there was this massive papyrology scandal. So we'd originally had like one papyrology episode and then like one episode to talk about recent discoveries of her poems. And then it ended up that this like Oxford University papyrologist had like been caught up in this massive scandal and like being arrested and there was this huge thing that had like rocked the classics world and so we ended up having to do like a three-part series on it because it was just such an interesting story and we just couldn't possibly fit it into one and now we just have a lot of like papyrology like fangirls like we're like the darlings of the papyrology world because we're like calling them up being like hey please come talk to us. Well, so and your like... guys' coverage was so thorough on it and it was so fascinating. So like everyone go listen to that series of episodes because it's, it's just like... It's episode four, episode four onwards, I think. I think so, I think episode yeah. four is Malcolm's, yeah. yeah. So we start off yeah. talking to this Australian papyrologist who's really interesting and he does like the basics of papyrology and then after that, it goes into the scandal. Yeah, and we so, just like... like we... I obviously know what papyrology is. I'm I'm like a pro. I know all I I papyr all the time. But say our say our audience members don't know. What's papyrology? I just want to get you a show that says papyr all the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's everything I need. So we, like all a lot of the stuff that we have, a lot of any like ancient materials, um, scraps of the Bible, right? Scraps of ancient philosophy or or ancient plays or other ancient literature comes on these fragments of paper 
that um, are called papyrus um, or papyri uh, for the plural. And they um, are found in these archaeological dumps where people just were throwing out their, their trash in ancient Egypt. You know, why is there all this literature and philosophy in the trash heap? Because it was so common, right? You would like have a, a line of Sappho or something on a, on a sheet and then you'd do like your, you would save the paper. So you'd have like your grocery list or your tax records on the other side. And then when you were done with it, you would just throw it away. The equivalent is that earlier in the summer, I was like meeting up in the park to play guitar with people and I would print off my like Taylor Swift lyrics to sit there. And then I would like write my grocery list on the other side. And so it's like, I threw that away in their cycling bin. And then if someone 2,500 years from now came and found that, they would have like Taylor Swift on there. So the, I don't think it'll last in Denver. I don't think it will either. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's important actually. So the reason a lot of this stuff survives is because the um, paper, the papyrus paper, it's made from the papyrus plant. And it has like a special chemical composition that just survives really well in the desert climate of Egypt. So papyrologists find these little scraps and they literally piece them together like puzzle pieces to try to make whole texts. Um, and there's just, there's a lot of ethics wrapped up in that, that. And that's why we needed a three part series for our scandal episode, because there's a lot in there about like colonialism. Um, a lot of these artifacts were taken out of Egypt during the colonial, like, you know, 19th century um, by England. And they currently live at Oxford. And it's like, these are Egyptian artifacts that were, were basically stolen. Um, so we talked to an Egyptian papyrologist, Usama God, and we talked to a lot of papyrologists that are trying to, like, just take a more ethical approach to working with these materials that they've found. Yeah, one of the other ways they take them as well as off mummy cartonage. So they basically, so like, obviously, mummies are like paper mache. And so they basically would like, take these dead people from history and they're kind of like make the choice that it's more important to get historical pieces of literature liter uh, than to respect the dead than to respect the dead <laughs> yeah. because um it's it's it, that's their choice and so that's been a really contentious thing as well is um is people taking literature from mummy cartonage and which the... is so interesting because the people that do that seemingly are like huge fans of learning about egyptology mummies all of that stuff when literally the whole point of that culture was respect for the dead mm -hmm. <laughs> they want to learn more about it but they're like it's just yeah, desecrating it's the whole point of the culture. Yeah, it's prioritizing different types of like what's important to preserve from history. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they're kind of gross about it. Like the guy that I mentioned before, he like the way that he spoke about wanting to discover Sappho and when he discovered Sappho was kind of disgusting. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, you know, for a while it's just me alone on this island with a girl named Sappho or something like it was all very like clamey and sexual and yeah. actually most of the people who have kind of like discovered Sappho's work in terms of papyrology have been men and so there's another whole yeah. conversation around that about her being discovered by men translated by men of the like is there like 160 fragments um yeah of all of them there's one by a woman I think that was discovered by a woman which is fragment two yeah. so every other papyrology that was discovered has a man's name on it or like an institution or was discovered by a man and do the... you have fragment two on you yeah. can you read it for us sure. she's like I got it it's right yeah. here I think I probably I think I probably know it um so let me pull up the information about okay so this fragment was um edited by medea norsa an italian papyrologist in 1937 she is not only the first woman to edit a fragment of sappho but the only woman to edit sappho so um here it is it's fragment two and when there are little gaps in the text i'll just pause here to me from crete to this holy temple where is your graceful grove of apple trees and altars smoking with frankincense? 
And in it, cold water makes a clear sound through apple branches, and with roses the whole place is shadowed, and down from radiant shaking leaves, sleep comes dropping. And in it, a horse meadow has come into bloom with spring flowers and breezes like honey are blowing. In this place, you, Cypress, taking up in gold cups, delicately nectar mingled with festivities, pour. Like I P.O. you are. <laughs> I know the Raya translation and you started reading and I was so confused. I was like, wait, wait a minute. Oh, and I'm like, oh, we should read the Raya translation too. Do you want it? Do you want to hear the difference of translation? Yeah. Yes. Let's, wait, so what's is it too much poetry? Not at all. You'll, so that version. Not at all. Too much poetry. That version I just read you was Carson's. Now listen to. Um, if you listen to Rare's translation, Diane Rare, um, you'll hear some differences in how she just interprets the fragment. So here's Diane Rare's interpretation of Fragment Two by Sappho. Come to me from Crete to this holy temple, here to your sweet apple grove, altars smoking with frankincense. Cold water ripples through apple branches, the whole place shadowed in roses. From the murmuring leaves, deep sleep descends. Where horses graze, the meadow blooms, spring flowers, the winds breathe softly. Here, Aphrodite, after gathering, pour into golden cups nectar lavishly mingled with joys. I mean, they're both fucking beautiful yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't go really go wrong hey nat can we make this quick i have to go check on my sponge your sponge oh you've been binging bake off again haven't you four words paul hollywood soggy bottom okay well when you're done with amateur hour the adults will be over here ordering cakes from the pros at ecbg cake studio because they make specialty cakes for all occasions we're talking custom birthday cakes we're talking jaw-dropping wedding cake masterpieces. We're talking Paul Hollywood just shook my hand, I deserve a cake cakes. ECBG Cake Studio, you say? Yes, and if you insist on trying to perfect your sponge, they also offer online baking classes. So follow at ECBG underscore studio on Instagram or visit their website, ecbgstudio.com. But we had a whole episode about just the differences that different translators, different approaches translators take, um, where they leave gaps in, where they try to fill gaps, um, where they like under or over translate, how they might. Diane Rayer talks about spending like 30 years thinking about one word in um, her translation of Fragment 1. So, so yeah, every, like, every time you read a different translation of Sappho, you're going to get something new. So you said you've spoken to translators yeah. of, of Sappho specifically? Yeah, the oh person my. who just translated that last poem, we spoke to her extensively. She's been amazing. Yep. And because I don't, I don't know a whole lot about translating. Like honestly, going back to Caroline Alexander's translation of the Iliad, I until I read that article, I never really thought about it much. I've got, I mean, I've read different translations of of you know poetry from whatever, and been like, well, this this is not even the same poem. Right. It must be excruciating being a translator and like trying to let go of your ego and like this is what I want it to say or like this is how I feel it should be and this is what the author intended and did I change the meaning completely did I fuck it up did I make it better did I make it mine as opposed to letting it be the author's like 
that sounds like being like a referee at like a basketball game, which I don't know if y'all are into sports, but that just seems like the worst job to me in the world so, as far as stress. Yeah. So spoiler alert, um, a lot of men in history <laughs> have put their words into Sappho's mouth and have just been like, I think Sappho says this. And also this poem has a title now. Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, so like it, every, every translator has so many choices they have to make, not only about which words to translate and whether to keep the language feeling more archaic or more modern and words have connotations like the green thing we were just talking about. Um, they also have to think about sound. Like, are you gonna preserve the rhyme or the meter? And these ancient Greek poems had really complex meters. So they have all these choices to make. And Diane talks about it on our podcast, Diane Rayer, in, in really like philosophical terms, like, you know, what, what, what am I sending out to do? And what am I, how much access am I trying to give the reader? She also made a lot of ethical calls about like pronouns where like throughout history, translators have made decisions about what pronoun to make Sappho's beloved. And Rayer's like, no, like Sappho writes poems about women. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the pronouns she. And um, just looking really closely at even like gerunds and participles for, for these little grammatical clues about what someone might be talking about. They, a lot of scholars, a lot of translators of Sappho are also scholars of, you know, the classics or um, of, of ancient languages in general. So they are up to date on all of the different new historical discoveries that are being made. So every time they come out with a new edition, it's informed by new research on all these things. And it's just so exquisitely, intricately crafted. It's also cool because she listens to our podcast now, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> but she also is very sure to let us know if we've um, if we've said something, which is good because we make mistakes all the time. And she, I mean, she said it could her entire <laughs> life to Sappho, and it's yeah. just like. But it's actually good incredible. how little she's contacted us when you think about it, because like she's only really said one or two things, and we're like, okay, they're super easily fixable. It's actually kind of good, but it does make oh, me right. feel like my parents were really parents like that. Like they're like. Like, I'd finish a singing performance and they're like, cool, so you did this, this, this. like, that was my whole childhood. So I'm just like, oh, I'm just, I'm back there. That's great. She's like our podcast mom. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and yeah. like, like you said, like, you are the only, like, you're really the only Sappho podcast. And right. like, Natalie and I are telling lesser known stories from history. So like, we want to let people know about this little known thing, but also we don't want to be like, this actually happened and we know everything about it <laughs> and then be like mm, that's not right or totally. we're just trying to you know we don't yeah. want to get out false knowledge but we want to clue people into what's going on and there's a lot of pressure there yeah. and sometimes whenever filling in like context behind something which i feel like is is when you when you mentioned at least like a lot of the people who are translating are also just like scholars like yeah. they're they're like they're classical scholars you would have to be because there's yeah. so there's so much things there's like so many levels that you need to know mm -hmm. to be able to translate a word because mm -hmm. it's not just like it's close to this word in in modern greek so it's, it's this like that's totally. not that's not how you would so, be able to translate it it's been a real i mean just getting to talk to all these experts whether it's you know diane rare or uh, classicists, papyrologists, actors and singers, you know, from, from really across the world. And we even did one interview in French, you know, like just like with my very bare bones French, like trying to um, learn from this from this amazing scholar. Like, it's great because like we don't have all that knowledge. And so everybody's just been sharing with us. And we also we don't have a fact checker. So when we do get, you know, some of that updates and 
and just get to you know follow ongoing stories like the paparazzi scandals it's just really really exciting and really interesting and it, and it does feel like a big responsibility to try to do it justice did you guys yeah. ever think when you were like we're gonna have a sappho podcast that you were gonna get to like <laughs> follow a current event through like through your <laughs> podcast we didn't expect that sure at all uh, in a way, it's been kind of good. I think the fact that we didn't, we weren't experts on Sappho going in. We were just people who were like really interested to know more. Like literally the way the podcast started, I heard Elise talking about Sappho on a Buffy podcast. And I was like, how do I not know about Sappho? And I went and like looked up Sappho podcasts, Sappho resources, and they were all really inaccessible. And I was just like, how did nobody ever think about doing this? And also it's just ridiculous that we know Homer and Ovid and all of these people and we don't know Sappho like most people don't know Sappho it's just it boggles my mind that we could that, that she's an undertold story from history it's just not okay and so this is why the whole podcast exists yeah. now you know how I deal with things and I mean like the the paparazzi scandal like the the intricacies of it are just really kind of like it, it's it's kind of like suspenseful to even you know, think like follow follow all these updates being made. So the the Oxford papyrologist got himself in trouble by basically stealing artifacts, allegedly stealing allegedly. artifacts, allegedly stealing <laughs> artifacts from the Oxford collection and selling them to Hobby Lobby for their Museum of the Bible. And the only reason, and then, and then Sappho gets caught up in it. It's a really long story, but the only way any of this was uncovered because he tried to cover his tracks and he like erased card catalogs and it, like there were backups on microfiche and all this stuff but that he didn't know the, about yeah but it was like these these everyday like you know academics just kind of getting pissed off and doing like amateur detective work like that's how this case was cracked is like these people just really wanting their field to to take these ethical concerns more seriously and to um you know, to, to just do do more, take like just take more responsibility around like the impact that even though we're studying these really ancient artifacts, Egypt still has like Egypt still has its culture and its people living there now, and this stuff matters to them, and so we have to be really careful and we have to be take this really seriously. Yeah, like, I feel like you know when a when a historical or a literary scandal is legit when microfiche comes into it and you need to start scrolling through that yeah. stuff. Like, it just looks legit. And the <laughs> biopic they're going to make about this in 10 years, like, we got to get that microfiche scene. Yep. There's going to be there's gonna be a scene where this guy who is selling stuff to Hobby Lobby is like, is like, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you <laughs> meddling <literally> microfiche. <laughs> Or like the Italian freaking papyrologist who was just sitting at home with her mom with COVID and was so bored. So she started like trolling through eBay. <laughs> just, sorry. <coughs> she started trolling through eBay to see if anybody was selling pap like papyrus. <laughs> and then she <laughs> pretended to be somebody else. And she started connecting with this guy. Like literally just... The most ridiculous. She's just catfishing. Totally. Him. Was catfishing totally. Yeah. She got his number. I mean, she's just a hero. And then he, he started making death threats to her. This isn't the Oxford guy. It's, it's a different guy. But like, yeah, these are just, <laughs> these are like kind of heroes. One of them was going through a PDF auction brochure. One of the guys we talked to um, was going through a PDF auction brochure from Christie's for a big lot of 
mummy cartonage that might have papyrus scraps on it. And he was looking at like the metadata of the images in the brochure and what dates the images were taken and cross-referencing that with the dates things were sold and all of this to just prove that like, you know, this guy's cover story didn't add up. And it's like, you know, these are detail-oriented people who really know their shit and really, you know, are protective of their territory. And um, it's just been cool to see them like put that to such good use, you know? I can't wait till we write the hit novel, <laughs> The Sappho Code. <laughs> I mean, oh my god! <laughs> just wrecked Cass's whole life. Who we spoke to, he has a book out about not Sappho specifically, but about the Bible scandal that sort of goes alongside of it, yeah. called Veritas, which I haven't read yet. But it's like I have, I, I'm not buying any books till I move house. But when I move house, I'm going to buy it and read it because it's super interesting. Yeah, I started What's reading it. It's really good. Ariel Sabah, and the book is called Veritas. It's about the. Um, fabricated uh gospel of of mary gospel of jesus's wife and i'm also just in reading his book like learning more about the gnostic gospels which i didn't really know anything about and it's really super interesting but you're so much more interesting i know i know (laughs) they are they are nerds i just had this beautiful moment where i'm like i spend so much of my life now just talking to super super nerdy people and i love it i'm so happy I went to Catholic school for 13 years. And so like a lot of the, like the Gnostics or whatever were taught in the approach of like, well, these were the heretics and they had like (laughs) kind of these gospels. I was like, wait, I want to know more about those. That's fucking interesting. (laughs) And there's so much cool shit to do with Catholicism and Christianity that they don't want to tell us. Oh no. And that's why it's interesting because there's some shit. And maybe that's season three. Yeah, hopefully we're, we're thinking about it. it. There's all kinds of cool shit. I mean, speaking of WAP, like... So, sorry, Always. that was just the best segue ever. Always <laughs> speaking of WAP. Speaking of WAP. I mean, like, when you read Song of Songs in the in the, um, in the the Bible, like, or Song of Solomon, it's, it's called both Song of Solomon and Song of Songs. It's just WAP. It's just like your honey dripping down and I'm going to taste it. And it's it's just straight up sex poems. Straight up sex poems. And I'm like, where is this when I went to Bible study in, in youth group when I was a kid? Like, where is this sh-? You know what? Old Testament is sexy. Yeah. And, like, and like aggressive. And like, there's a lot going on there. Like, <laughs> one, of, one of my good friends texted, texted in a group chat the other day, just as like, completely out of nowhere, just said, does anyone want to do an Old Testament book club? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I mean. That one? I'm not going to say no, especially if we're just sticking to Old Testament, because Old Testament <laughs> slaps. Okay, I remember, so if you like, start that, just hit us up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. <laughs> but the problem is that we would all take it, like, way more seriously than the rest of them. I did, a, like, okay. well, I did I did. a Bible study, actually. like, in grad school with, with all, like, older queer folks, and it was incredible. We were just reading, like, the Genesis myth and being like, this is really non-binary and I love it. Like, you know, because the, there's like two Genesis messages. The second one is very like less gendered. And anyway, yeah, there's there's like super, super weird stuff. In the- <laughs> Last night I was reading where Yael like stabs some king through the chest with like a stake from the tent. It's like, whoa, shit, she's fucking killed him right in the middle of this. <laughs> <laughs> the Old Testament is metal. <laughs> I was always so much more fast, like going to Catholic school, I was always so much more fascinated with Judaism and all that stuff. And I was like, why? I was like, the New Testament's boring. Like, 
JC, I love the whole like kindness vibe you got going, but like at the end of the day, the New Testament is just repetitive, like nice, let's love each other. And like that's a great message. Like, don't get me wrong, but the Old Testament is so much more interesting. Wait, so wait. It's my a great message, it's a bad story. It's, <laughs> I don't know, because my favorite thing about the New Testament is like you really start looking at like how like <laughs> Like Jesus gets really grumpy a lot of the times. Like, like it, the whole story is that he's like this, like forgive everyone. But like through a lot of the story, like he's getting really pissed off. Like he's like, they, at one point, the one of the disciples tries to give him a pedicure, and then another disciple is like, eh, "How many poor people could you have fed with that perfume?" And Jesus is like, <laughs> "Let me have my pedicure. Fuck off. I'm gonna die tomorrow. Let me have my pedicure." And I'm like sorry, self care, damn it. And he's always getting oh, like, like he's always getting super frustrated when like people don't understand his his parables which are incomprehensible or when his, his there's like a raging storm and his disciples are getting freaked out and he's like oh do i have to fix everything he's like stealing donkeys i don't know i think it's kind of crazy actually okay so my family atheist and the only religion <laughs> that we have is every easter we watch jesus christ superstar and i know the whole thing by heart my dad is really into it and i find it so funny because like my family are like you go on the ground and you die and religion sucks and then like still set us to a christian <laughs> and to church with our grandma i think they just like sunday mornings free um but got a, they got a lot they got a lot done <laughs> but they also they also really introduced christ superstar and so i know the whole thing from start to finish and in my head all i'm doing is like are you just singing um, gethsemane because that's what i was singing no, the whole time like, you were talking about uh, jesus 300 whining. silver pieces a more people who are hungry people are starving matter more than your <laughs> that one is that is that judas right there it's probably judas <laughs> you didn't expect that in this episode oh um, my god that's, you know well, what? actually Jesus people Christ are superstar all that's done for me is like have the expectation that jesus christ has like an incredible falsetto and if i ever find <laughs> that he didn't and as. i just i mean i'm an atheist now if but if i weren't like that would atheism right there he doesn't have a falsetto i dream that's of. but that's so funny because the whole time elise was talking about whiny jesus i was in my head uh singing like can you show me now that i will not be killed in vain show me just a little of your omnipresent brain oh show me there's a reason for you wanting me to die far too keen on where and how not uh, so hot on why i just realized that we were brought up in different versions of jesus christ Superstar. What? Because I can tell by the way you sang that that it wasn't the original cast. Oh, no. So here's the problem. The way that I always <laughs> sing it is the way that um, one uh, his well, I I'm going to name him. Michael Glazer uh, <laughs> was a performer who I went to high school with and he sang Gethsemane for Mr. NCHS, which uh, was like our like oh, senior wow. boys, like beauty pageant, basically, that you could do. <laughs> And he, the way that, the way that I always have it stuck in my head is the way that he's saying it. Cause That's fair. Talk about covers. It's, That's a, yeah. it's a cover of a cover of a cover. Anyway, I, I really it's love not, that. It's not Jesus Christ Superstar, but when you started talking about the Judas not liking the pedicure, it was Judas, right? Yeah. All I could think of was Godspell when they're like, when you feel <laughs> sad or under a curse, your death is bad and your vows are covers. Okay, now now Elise needs to sing a musical. I was gonna say, Elise, you have to sing something now. I don't have like five, six, seven, eight. Oh, my like, 
I get really like obsessed with like one thing. And so my, my only musical that like matters to me is the sound of music, which, which I could sing the whole thing. I have like gone into nursing homes and performed from start to finish all parts of the sound of music by myself. For- <laughs> so, so while you were talking about, about whiny Jesus in your head, you were singing climb every exactly. mountain. <laughs> exactly. Like, because, because I think religion, like, so, you know, religion is hilarious to me and like I am a person of faith but it's still hilarious to me and especially that kind of like test of like you you know <laughs> you have to like go you have to we have to we're gonna figure out if you're a good nun or not we're gonna we're gonna send you in with this really hot guy this really hot single guy with seven kids and you love kids and like if it works out and you want to come back and be a nun great but you're like literally the worst nun so like you know, good luck. We're just trying to marry you off to this hot widow. <laughs> right. And then she comes back and Mother Superior is like, climb every mountain, which basically means go fuck the captain. <laughs> <laughs> like she's telling her to go get some. Like she's like, it's okay to not be a nun. And I think that's so nice. And I don't know how that relates to what we're talking about at all, but I just want to well, put it. We've that taken I- a real tangent, but I'm happy. I'm so happy. You made me talk Elise, about a musical. As, so it's- as you told us, green green grass means um Those Alps were really great. Like, like being hot and heavy all turned on. Yeah. To die uh means like to have an orgasm. Yeah. And climb every mountain means go fuck a captain. Like that's <laughs> that's know. historical idiom study. Like we're keeping it on. In this you. essay, totally. I will. Oh, and I <laughs> hold on. I, I'll I'll segue the shit out of this moment into back right into Sappho, back into the text. Yes. Because, back where we started. <laughs> yes. Because like okay, so yeah, if the sound here's the segue. So the sound of music is very like you know you have to choose God or fucking the captain. Sappho is like asking God. Why not both? Exactly. Sappho like asks God to help her fuck this girl in in fragment one, which is the only complete intact, um, arguably the only complete intact Sappho poem we have. Um, she starts the poem, "Deathless Aphrodite of the spangled mind, child of Zeus, who twists lures. I beg you, do not break with hard pains, O lady, my heart. But come here, if ever before you caught my voice far off." And listening left your father's golden house and came yoking your car. So she's like, please come help me. I've prayed to you a lot. I really need your help. And then then later Aphrodite answers her in the middle of this poem and goes, whom shall I persuade to lead back into her love? Oh, who, O Sappho, is wronging you? For if she flees, soon she will pursue. If she refuses gifts, rather will she give them. If she does not love, soon she will love even unwilling. So Aphrodite responds to Sappho and is like, no, I'll help you get this girl. Like, it's, I got it. It's fine. Which I love. I love Aphrodite. I just want to state that the last, like, five minutes of this podcast have been, like, peak shared history. <laughs> like, the- before, like, at the end of an episode, they're like, was that okay? Is that, like, how I, no, that's exactly what this podcast is. <laughs> the journey, the journey, the the journey into just a commentary on the Old Testament into all four of us singing a song from a musical at some point into changing the lyrics of that musical to be about fucking back to a smooth ass segue into your topic is just we really mwah. we just need a Sappho um, musical and I mean one of our guests Jade Esteban Estrada 
um, did this in 2006. He wrote a musical, a one one man musical theater comedy show called Icons: The Lesbian and Gay History of the World, and and he played all these different characters, and one of them was Sappho, and and so he has like a whole song of Sappho singing, um, and he's like, and my face was on coins. It's it's really because her face was in fact on the money in Archaic Greece. So I guess it exists. But yeah, I would like women. I didn't know they could put women's money, women's faces on money. I didn't know that was possible. I well, thought they it were must. More progressive back then. <laughs> <laughs> Two and a half millennia ago, things were going way better for women than now. We've really regressed. Yeah. yeah. Cass, Cass, they did it. Did wait what now? They did it. They they finally did it. Greatest store in the universe. Who? Raygun, they did it. They're the greatest store in the universe. Oh, says who? Says Raygun. Oh, okay, I'll buy it. You know what else you can buy? Clothing, home goods, and time travel supplies at raygunsite.com or at any of their six stores. Exactly. Use promo code SHARIALATER to save on your next order. That's raygunsite.com, promo code SHARIALATER, all one word. So back to the kind of like historical context of Sappho, like we've talked about her poetry. We've talked about her kind of personalization of poetry and lyric poetry. Her face was on coins like she was popular in her day. It wasn't one of those like there was this chick who wrote some poetry. We found out about her a couple hundred years later and now we're studying her like she was like she was doing festivals, she was at Lilith Fair, people were covering her songs. Come like on. like what brought her to that esteem? Do we even know? I mean, if you read like the ancient accounts are just that her work was that good. And it had to be especially good because she was a woman. So to be even allowed to sing and perform at these public festivals or weddings or whatever, she would have to be really, 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 really good. And she just was. I mean, so you can rich. read I think it's important to note that she was from like a aristocratic class. So totally. I think that like it probably she was helps. afforded more mm. opportunity yeah. based totally. on that alone. Yeah. Although, well, and just dissemination of information, music, literature in totally. general, I guess that's more my thing of like, how did so many people hear about her? But she was yeah. touring. Yeah, she was, she was, she got around. I mean, like, yeah. And as an aristocratic woman, she would have been even like more treated like property too, like if, if she was married. So there's there's like just kind of a miracle in like in preserving any of her work, especially when you consider that she wasn't writing it down most likely because she she wouldn't have had written language. So people loved her poems enough, her, hearing them at weddings or festivals or drinking parties. They loved her songs enough to learn them, and then to teach them to generations of people playing Sappho's songs. And then at some point in classical Greece, people started writing her songs down. And then, you know, the, the people were copying them and making enough copies for a few tiny fragments to survive all the libraries being burned and all of that. I mean, it's like tragic that we don't have more of her work, but one theme that we come back to again and again on the show is that it's truly crazy, insane, miraculous to have anything at all from two and a half millennia ago. Um, but yeah, yeah, she was shit. She was really, really well known in her time. Is the numbering... Uh, for the for the fragments, like the order that they were found in. Um, no, I think there's something to do with like editing them. Um, so they they were all found, and most of them are, come from this collection at Oxford, the Oxyrhynchus collection. So I think it has something to do with their editing scheme. But don't quote me on that. I'm not 100 percent sure where um, the numbers come from. Fragment one is the only complete poem that yeah. we have. Right. 
Um, so that's the only one that has a name, which is Ode to Aphrodite. And then the rest of them, or I don't even know if it is the name. I think it's just what people have called it over time. Yeah. Um, because it's what it is. Uh, but that's the only full poem. So everything else is fragmented. And like some of them are really, like some of them are really small. Like 168 is O for Adonis. That's it. Yeah, some of them. Are, and that's fire. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some of them are just like one word. It's like there's one that's like celery. Yeah. Fragment <laughs> fragment 179 in Carson is makeup bag. <laughs> just just the essentials. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> it is fun. Like it's fun to just have uh I only have Carson's in paperback. Um but Diane's releasing one this year and I'm really excited. This one's just uh actually my favorite thing and I don't know if this was on purpose, but I really hope it was is fragment 69 is just bracket bracket sinful bracket that's it it just says sinful and it's fragment 69 and i was like that is not an accident like how perfect is that someone Someone has either a great sense of humor or just the stars aligned perfectly yeah it's it's pretty incredible it's a gift from aphrodite like people's like high level just like basic knowledge if they if they know sappho it's like she's greek she's ancient she's gay and she's a poet like that's kind of a lot of people's just general knowledge of Sappho if they've heard of her in general. But there's so much more like she has a huge body of work, but just not much of it was written down, right? No, much of it has survived. Yeah, yeah. not much of it has survived because we know that um let me get the right number for you here. Yeah, so we know that in the Alexandrian library, Alexander the Great's library there were nine books of her poems and they that that probably totaled ten thousand lines and we only have about 500 lines left and so we know that there was like from like the indexes and the like catalogs we know that there was all of this and that it just didn't survive for a number of reasons i mean mostly just you know burning these libraries down during the dark ages but um (laughs) yeah so so a lot if there was a great library like god damn it burned down (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but also one fact i found out be, like being a woman and being a lyric poet which wasn't as popular as the epic poets especially during the roman times another reason her work didn't survive is because there weren't as many copies of it written down as other poets who were male or who did who participated in the epic tradition because i mean the romans the, the romans were like even more misogynistic than the greeks and they they just thought that like a woman writing was like a dog standing up on its hind legs and it was like disrespectful and and like you wouldn't it like if to teach a student Sappho's work in ancient Rome would have been like what are you teaching them porn like what are you doing like that that's wrong you know don't do that they were very like pure moralistic and all that about that kind of stuff yeah in your um, in your first episode which is called Ode to Aphrodite it's it's the first full or the only full poem you mentioned that like her poetry was used in ancient grammatical texts and whatnot because she just had such a very perfect or exact or just a, a great knowledge of of grammar, of usage, of writing and oration in general. Yeah. Like, she was just really fucking smart and good at what she did. Yeah. And it's pretty I- crazy that you can still read it, you know, all these years later and get something from it and, and relate and even in translation and, and after you know all these thousands of years to still get something out of it I think really speaks to just how on point she is. Lisa did you have something to add? 
I was going to say, um, and the sapphic meter as well, Elise, but actually before I was going to say, I don't know if maybe you shared this or someone shared this, but there is a library and I don't know if you can see this in earlier because I think it's hilarious. There is a library uh, at Yale, I think, that's really beautiful and someone posted a picture of it and then someone wrote under it in a tweet and they're like, fun fact about this library, if there's a fire, they remove all the oxygen from the building, killing everybody inside, but saving the books. I can't believe we didn't send that to you, actually, because I thought that was the funniest shit I've ever seen. I think it's hilarious, and I think it's amazing, and I think it's correct. Don't you have to, yes. like, you have to like sign a waiver when you enter the building, right? Like, I understand. <laughs> I don't know I understand that, if, I if a fire breaks fun. out, I will die. That's metal. As hell. I understand <laughs> that I am not as important as these books. And the people that work there... You know, when we think of, like, boring, stuffy, nerdy librarians, <laughs> fuck no. These people are like, take me down. <laughs> save but the save box. the books. My, my university library at Regis University in Denver has, I think, the world's largest collection of recorder music, which is the only thing, you know, like, <laughs> that we have the only or the largest of at the, at the library. I would believe that for Regis. It's a lovely library, but this is the one thing that's like, we have the largest collection of recorder music. And I'm like... You guys, we got to get more serious about preserving that recorder music. Like, fuck, we got to put in this Yale technology. Like, <laughs> kill everyone, save the recorder music. <laughs> Imagine all of that recorder music survives, and then millennia <laughs> from now, they're like, research, this is the only library that survived. And it appears people from the year 2020 were really into this instrument called the recorder, and that's the only music we have from that. Like, yeah. They think that we're totally. like super into recorder. Like, oh yeah. Hot Cross Buns was fucking fire. Um. Also, do you know what Hot Cross Buns are? Because I only found out last year that Americans just know that there's a song called Hot Cross yeah, Buns. Yeah, I don't know what they are. They're like okay. buns. They've got a little cross in them for yeah. Easter. Uh, yeah. They're the most delicious and amazing part of Easter, and I am devastated because I could never have them here. And then I found out that you guys just play that song and you're like, oh, it's like the song. And you're like, hot yeah, it's like hot cross buns. buns. And they're like, I don't know what that is. I just want to. I've never had one. And I just know like the basic like, oh, they're like buns that they would sell in old timey England. Yeah. But I guess that's, <laughs> that's my Americanized England. ideation of it. Now in I Australia like an and the UK, we have them every Easter. They usually start selling them in like January. Um, they're amazing. I love them. When I went like back sweet? to they're like fruit buns, oh, but like really but like you toast them with butter. It's delicious. When I went back to I got stuck in Australia because of COVID, because um, I went back for my visa, whatever. Long story. But I went back and one of the first thing that I did because it was March, I like bought like like two bags of hot cross. I'm like, well, if I'm gonna be in <laughs> lockdown, I guess I'm just gonna eat hot cross buns every day. Just get into my fill for the next however many years I'm stuck in America. Oh hell yes. <gasps> I, I'm feeling really hungry now, and, like, this library fire conversation is making me realize that, like, apparently our policy as a podcast is, like, you shouldn't exhume or destroy bodies to save fragments of literature, but you should kill people in a library <laughs> to preserve the literature. You should just instantly kill Oh my god, I didn't them. even think about that. Like, that is yeah, our, like, moral stance. Like... I don't understand the issue, Um... Y'all are laughing, but I don't, I don't get it. Makes oh perfect. my God, they're totally inconsistent beliefs. 
It's fine. I mean, I don't know which I don't know which one I land on now. I think I think I don't I think know. I feel like deep down we all are like don't exhume bodies, murder living humans. It's kind <laughs> of goth, yeah. isn't it? It's like pretty like goth, you know, like I don't know, there's something really cool about it. I think I think the thing is this. I think here's the difference. I think A, if you're going into that university, you are making a choice. If you're going into that library, you're like, "Okay, cool. I agree to this. Like this is like I'm walking in. It's my choice." But I think the problem with the mummy cartonage is not so much that it's it's like destroying dead bodies like the way that people have respectfully buried them i think it's the fact that it's usually western mm. colonists who are deciding True. to do that to True. egyptian bodies so it's like yeah. it's yeah. like rooted in eurocentrism i think that's the issue that we have totally eurocentrism. and we, we so my came, beliefs are consistent thank goodness. we came across this <laughs> insane piece of research that during victorian times europeans were eating mummies as like a medicinal treatment they would like they had like mummy dust from like the mummies like ground up and they would like mix it in their drinks and it was supposed to you know help you cure different illnesses and stuff so straight cannibalism with the mummies victorians like, were like obsessed with egyptology like it got really big around that that's that so time creepy. didn't it so yeah creepy. we have we have an episode in our first season where we tell stories from our hometown and i tell the story of a my high school has a mummy my high school has a legitimate egyptian mummy and i was like looking into the story of like how the hell we had a mummy and it's just like i don't know this guy traveled a lot and a while ago and then he like picked up this mummy at a curio shop and then he had no kids so he donated it to the school when he died or something what? uh but it's just like i don't uh, is that the most is that the most affluent white suburb thing that could that could ever be my my but, my affluent, affluent predominantly white suburb suburban high school has a mummy. Wow. And her her name is Butch. Yeah, her but, name is Butch. Oh, that's cute. Interesting. <laughs> There's so much to unpack. There's there. a lot. I just I think I'm gonna need to sit with that one. Is your yep. school mascot the mummies? Nope. Oh my god, it should be though. No, no, no. Of course. Red birds. Right. Well, uh, yeah. Previously, the Redskins. Of oh, course. Oh. Of course it was. Yeah. Of course it was. Hmm. Uh, on that fun But now note. the Redbirds. <laughs> but now the Red Hawks. Red Hawks. Damn at least they picked that. a thing. At my wife's school, they it was the Redskins, and they just removed skins, and now the mascot is red. The, the color red is their mascot. Oh. But, so it's like Denison University, to... the Big Red, and it's like the Big Red. It used to be Big Red Indians, and it's like, that's horrible, but like, you should, the Big Red, like, birds would be great, or like, it's a modifier. It's not a thing. There's a lot of things that are red. Yeah. <laughs> my high school, like, were the maroons okay so it's the same like, thing like the color I mean, but also a maroon is like i don't know if it's like a like a marooned pirate or uh. like we're just the maroons mm. in fairness to big red that is actually my dad's nickname and so you, you can have mm. him as the mascot okay. he's like a six foot six tall redhead man cool. um so there you go problem solved that sounds really nice yeah i'd love to see like you know like gymnasts wearing that mascot costume of like your dad as a you know like With my dad like this yeah on the front? totally because like yeah but it. not like a cartoonized mascot just like an actual like detailed yeah. picture of your dad on the front he would put on the most horrendous clothes that he owns and he would do it yeah no see what i want is uh my least favorite thing in the world is when there's a mascot costume that you're is a person yeah. but it's not just like you dressed as that person it's you wearing a person suit yeah 
like the Chicago WNBA, the Chicago Sky, they have Sky Guy as their mascot. And it's just, there's just a person in a man suit in, in like, I think he's like a, like a skydiver. This is a phobia. This is a real phobia people have. I just want to put that out there. Like, I, I get it. Like trigger, trigger warning. We're talking about mascots. Um, (laughs) I have a question. What are each of your favorite fragments? If you had to pick a fragment to be your favorite, oh my impossible task. Mine is sixty nine. <laughs> I mean, I'm just throw that out there. I do feel like that's a pretty good one for the cheekiness. At least you have a favorite one. I, I mean, I think thirty one's my favorite, which which is the he seems to me equal to the gods. That man who's sitting next to you listening to you laughing that i read earlier and i mean it's like kind of a cliche choice it's like everybody's favorite zappo but i just really i've always been the girl listening to my crush talking to the guy like you know i've always been the one that that point of the triangle and the point of like longing but like knowing that you're never gonna have what you <laughs> what you hope for and so I, I just relate to that really hard. Like the inner like emo teenage girl in me really relates to that. And every time I read it, I just um, am astounded that she felt, you know, all these years ago, two and a half millennia ago, the way that, you know, the way that I feel when I'm talking to someone that I love. And so, yeah, it just gets me every time. I can't choose a favorite, but I'm going to read one more for your entertainment, which is fragment 107. Mm. And it is just, do I still yearn for my virginity? Question mark. And my answer is no, but I just like the fragment. <laughs> yeah. I want to know what the follow-up for that is. <laughs> oh, actually, this is also one that I really like. But I, I like Raya's translation. Do you have Raya over there? Can Raya 91. I really like her translation of this. I read? usually like Raya's translations better. Yes, please. Okay. I, <laughs> 91. Um, I never met anyone more irritating, Irana, than you. It's great. Relatable. I love it. These are also relatable. Oh my god, I love that one. 91's my new favorite. But see, the Carson translation isn't as good. So the Carson translation is um is mm-hmm. just because I love that because it is really like I think Ray is really modern with her language. And uh Carson's is never more damaging, oh Arana, have I encountered you? Which is way less fun. Yeah. I it's like way Ray's less savage than the other like, one. Yeah, exactly. It's weirdly so like, like that sounds like this sounds dumb but that sounds like a tweet or something it, it yeah something she's just subtweeting feel <laughs> yeah modern and present and i feel like so many times when we look into history or literature from a long time ago it's like it's this completely different entity it's not it, it is it is Totally. Nothing that exists now or has any connection to now because of archaic language or different contextual meanings and being able to be like, oh no, this is like something that anyone right now could have said or felt. And she felt yeah. that, someone felt that two millennia ago. It's, yeah. it's absolutely, it just makes you feel like part of this bigger human species do you know what i mean like it boggles the mind to think about history being that long and yet that constant and because um their their society like we talked about was so completely different than ours in terms of every way that you every paradigm through which you would think about your place in the world 
and in society and how how like the gods worked or or you know it was all so different and yet you know you could have that same kind of longing the i'm just remembering too a good answer for me for that question should have been my very first book of i write poems and the very first book of poems i ever published the epigraph for the front of it was just a, a really tiny sappho fragment that goes you burn me and I love that like eris as fire that can damage or you know come from within and without and that it's yeah full of life and energy but also dangerous it's just great yeah she has a lot of really beautiful things that she says about like i guess like chris goes on this whole thing about like we're looking at the same moon like about distance and it sort of feels the same now like we're still looking at the same moon that sappho looked at and it's i always a real think about five goes west moment yeah oh my god i totally think of that every time <laughs> Oh, I've been wanting to watch that movie for Sappho. so long. I was I loved that song so much. I used to sing it all the time. Um, we'll have to do that one on TikTok at least. Yeah, sounds good. Mm. Give give my 500 million listeners or whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what they've been waiting for <laughs> is some Fievel goes west. Does it? Do you guys know? I wonder if there's a. Uh, I wonder if there's a Twitter account that is just Sappho fragments. There are two. There are at least two. Okay, because I was going to say, just because some of the shorter ones especially, just like that Irina one just sounds Mm. like she's subtweeting this this girl. Uh, And I love, that's like my favorite, my favorite, I love, I love weird Twitter. (laughs) Like, I feel like, I feel like weird Twitter, gay Twitter, and then like super niche, like lit Twitter are like the best Classic Twitter is also very fun. They do phallic Fridays and it's like, no one asks for this, but they do it every week. They're like, (laughs) phallic Friday. And they post like dick pics from history. And it's just like, classic Twitter, I love you so much. I also just, I love, I love the Twitter accounts that are like, there's, there's one, I can't remember what, what it exactly is, but it's like basically tweeting. There's a bunch of them that will tweet like historical events, like they'll follow what like follow like World War Two or whatever, and basically tweet the headlines as if like that Twitter account is back in World War Two, like reporting the news. And it's just like so fascinating from a if you look at their feed from like a build perspective mm-hmm. and then like little like side like side things that are going on <laughs> and so that's why i was like i wonder if there's a sappho one because there's gotta be just because i don't know there's there's uh i love that shit i love that's like my i love that shit on twitter so much <laughs> sparknotes has a great twitter account sparknotes twitter <laughs> sometimes twitter makes me want to hurl uh makes me want to hurl and then also hurl myself or my computer out a window, um, sometimes both at the same time. But like every now and then, there's just this beautiful, dumb little gem <laughs> that I'm like, yes, more of that, please. Yeah, there's definitely a big difference between the Sweet Bitter account and like my personal account, where like for years and years studying terrorism and stuff, like I follow like heaps of people who are like into politics. And then you're on Classics Twitter, and it's like everybody's telling like jokes about like things that happened like thousands of years ago. And I mean, there's still like the relevant recent stuff as well, but like for the most part, it's just like really lovely and fun. And I have a lot of fun there. Yeah, it's hard to make jokes and have levity about cults and terrorism and modern day stuff. Like you can't have a joke. You can. Terrorist account. 
it's 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 really um it's a fine line <laughs> you know honestly it, it i think that when you study it you get to you get too light about it and i definitely did and there was a period of time where like all i wanted to do is i wanted to like do a podcast where i talked about taking terrorist and cult tactics and utilizing them for workplace skills because i think that they can teach us a lot like you think about like community building do you know who are really good at community building cults they're great at it Terrorism are really good at helping people find a sense of identity. They're amazing at branding. <laughs> so good at branding. Social media. And it's just like, guys, we can learn a lot from terrorism. And like, if you just take a step back from the feelings about it, which are super valid, we could actually take some really good business skills from here because they're very innovative and they're leading the game in a lot of places. And I like, I pitched, I actually legitimately at one point pitched that for a community management conference of like, what can terror, like, what can terrorism teach us about community management? And I'm like, no we can't do that i was like but they've got some good ideas you know what i core it's got a good idea they're just taking it what if we took that and used it for good is all i'm saying you sound you sound like anakin skywalker like there's nothing wrong with dictatorships they work (laughs) i didn't say there's nothing wrong with terrorism i just said they're really good at something terrorism for good like that's your ted talk or some tactics tactics terrorism tactics for good have you been using cult techniques on me and ellie and like community creating time. community for sweet bitter really yeah because one of the cults is like um you know you work people so hard that they don't have time to <laughs> push back hundred yeah, percent right. yeah. yeah Cass and i are in a cult that's called the chicago comedy community <laughs> oh yeah 100 p oh man <laughs> <laughs> This has been so much fun. What a journey. Absolutely. What a journey we've been on together. Um, Do you guys want me to sing Sound of Music from the beginning to the end? Because I have the rest of the night. So. A five, six, seven, eight. Climb that is not how you would count. <laughs> Climb every captain. Oh, I want to climb that captain like a tree. My, um, my favorite thing about him that I learned, because he recently passed away. R.I.P. Yeah, Christopher Plummer. He hated the sound of music. Oh, he hated it. He called it the sound of mucus, and he was fucking Liesl <laughs> the whole time they were filming. Mm-hmm. She was a no, bitch. No, she well, was, were she they was, actually fucking, or did they just... They, ha- they had an affair while they were filming the sound I, of Because I... Oh, I thought she said that she was, like, pining for him, but I didn't know anything actually happened. But I remember as a kid watching that and being like... I feel like there's a weird sexual tension between Liesl and her dad. And I was like, ew, that's so weird. And then found out they were like hooking up or like had a thing. And I was like, it totally translated. And Your I'm not weird now. Kid Radar is off the charts. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were. She, yeah, she was like the same. The actress was around the same age as Julie Andrews when they when they filmed it, you know? like Yeah. And I mean, I'm just... the interview I saw was them being like, no, nothing happened, but she had a crush. Yeah, it's tough when like that. the only eligible men in your life are your dad and a Nazi. Like, <laughs> slim pickings. Or if slim you're Sylvia Black, is... they're they're both one and the same. You know. <laughs> this is this is really coloring. Uh, so long, farewell to me. To her performance in the film of So Long Farewell. Because which is which would have been that's the taste champagne the that's her yeah it'd be the so long farewell of and they're like flirting he, she's like yes and he's like no and then it's like there's some there's some energy there. little wink little Edelweiss I'm sorry Edelweiss oh they're that's the scene where I'm like that's there's the sexual tension there totally well we need to unpack this but I don't know that our listeners <laughs> need to listen to us unpack that's a different episode it's a different episode. <laughs> 
thank you guys so much for coming on your your new season your second season your gay pirate season um can we all just have don't we all have a gay pirate season in our in our lives and shouldn't we uh, i hope so mine should be coming any day now for uh, for my, for me it was when the first pirates of the caribbean came out um but that's coming out in august tell our listeners where they can find all of your everything Okay, so you can find us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter at SweetBitterPod. Uh, we have a website, SweetBitterPodcast.com. You can find us, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. That's about it. And um, tell them how they can find Elise on TikTok so that they can... <laughs> oh, I mean... So they can demand the more sea comes shanties. Out, she may have deleted it. <laughs> Elise, what's your TikTok handle? Um, it's just my name, Elise Snore, I think. Uh, let me check. <laughs> And it's literally the only social media you can actually find her on because she's a hidden a hidden internet person. I love um, it. I'm on Twitter it. at Lisa Charlotte. Yes, you can find me there. And if you want to look at me and Elise do a lot of gay duets, my TikTok is also Lisa Charlotte with two E's. And uh, and similarly, you can find uh, you can find a bunch of visual aids and tidbits from this episode from us on our Instagram and Twitter, which is at Shared Pod. We talked about correcting people earlier i think it's hilarious that i think that one of we've the only corrections that people have reached out with have been when we make when we mistake a pop culture reference <laughs> like nobody has ever corrected and i'm like why nobody's corrected any history it nonsense. almost feels rude to have a guest come on and be like if you have questions corrections or suggestions but we need it because eventually at some point natalie or i are going to be like well, it was really uh, this band at this time for this random tangent. So yeah, like when we mixed necessary. up the Verve and the Verve pipe, that we definitely got called out for that one. Uh, but you can send those. You can send those corrections. You can send questions, corrections, and suggestions of future topics that you would like us to cover to our email address. That's shared po- shared history podcast at gmail Thank you guys Lisa, so much for Elise, coming. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks this for having us. It's been yeah, so much fun. Treat. <laughs> I did not expect the musical amazingness of this episode. I'm so happy. <laughs> it had to happen. It's been building. We haven't had musical references in such plenty in an episode in a while. Yeah, we so basically we... covered all of Jesus Christ Superstar. So oh, we God. we did the whole show. <laughs> Until next time, our friends. Share you later. Special thanks for this episode go to Sarah Cruz for the show art, Gareth Spin for original music, the Bandit Trico for social animations, and Kasmar for a magnificent edit. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.